from the author of the book by the same name. It's the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast with Mark McRae. Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. I'm Dan Klink here with your host, Mark McRae, and today we're talking swords and sorcery. Mark, how you doing? I'm doing great. So happy to uh, be able to present this awesome topic, sword and sorcery. Same here, and same with our audience. This is this is going to be a good one. Oh yeah. So to get us going, Mark, uh, why don't you give us just a, a, a brief explanation on uh, the genre? What exactly constitutes a, a a show falling into the swords and sorcery category? You want to know what sword and sorcery is? Well, kids, sword and sorcery. It usually has something to do with a sword. And so you have characters such as He-Man and Thundar and Blackstar that all have a magical sword. And the sword sometimes can be part of that magical quest. But there's also dragons, castles, wizards and witches, outworldly beasts and minotaurs and creatures that are definitely not found in the regular world. It's a fantasy adventure, and anything could happen. It's a whole lot of fantasy with a, with a splash of sci-fi in there, and a very sharp plot device. Right. <laughs> Got it. Got exactly. it. Exactly. All right. Yep. Well, let's let's jump in. Where where did it all begin? All right. During the 1976 season, Filmation Productions launched a animated adaption of Tarzan. Uh, it was called Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. It was one of the most successful adventure series on Saturday morning television. The series boasted great character designs and backgrounds, as well as impressive athletic rotoscoped Tarzan. That was mm. the best looking animated character on Saturday morning television. Of course... Mm. Tarzan's success did not go unnoticed by the competition. And a few years later, one of Filmation Productions chief rivals, Ruby Spears Production, and that's Joe Ruby and Ken Spears. These guys were awesome writers and producers. They started out at Hanna-Barbera back in the day, and then later they formed their own company, Ruby Spears. They created a version of uh, something that the sword and sorcery uh, linked called Thundar the Barbarian. Thundar the Barbarian. I have many, many fond memories of Thundar. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, a rogue planet flies in between the Earth and the moon, causing right. havoc, chaos, and more or less the end of the world as we know it. Right. And so Thundar kind of picks up 2,000 years later, right. where, the, where the Earth and the moon have uh, seemed to have settled into a new orbit, and a new world is born of savagery, science fiction, and sorcery. Right. This show, Thundar the Barbarian, really, really delivered on all those aspects. It was a huge ratings hit for the ABC network where the show ran and provided, as Dan stated earlier, a lot of great, wonderful memories for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this really did kick off the swords and sorcery genre. I mean, Tarzan was Tarzan. Right. This, this is when it all began with the, the he had a sun sword, very kind of reminiscent of a lightsaber. Yes, uh, correct. He also had a sidekick named uh, Ukla the Monk, who, Ukla was, the monk. who was very similar to uh, Han Solo's uh, Chewbacca. Yes, 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 he was. In fact, if I, if I recall, Ukla uh spoke in in grunts and and uh and whatnot but if i recall tim from wrong thundar knew what he was saying 
right? Yes, yes. Thundar could understand Ukla. And I yeah. think uh, their third companion, who was Princess Ariel, right. she could also understand Ukla as well. Right. So there were no issues with language or translation there, which helped move the plot along. You know, it's interesting, even in the uh, far-flung future after the end of the world, we have now evolved into a, uh, a multilingual society <laughs> where we speak both English and Ukla. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's not all bad. It's not, it's not all bad. Well, what is really cool is that in one of the later episodes, Ukla runs into his people and they have their own society and they're doing their own thing. Uh, although I don't think there was a backstory telling how Ukla hooked up with Thundar. Uh, what we know about Thundar was that at some point he got captured okay. and uh, he was able to break free. But how the trio of Thundar, Ukla, and Princess Ariel came together, I don't remember a particular origin story for those three, but right. uh, it works. The three of them work really well together in this series. I, they, they adventured around a, a ruined North America, and we got to see a whole lot of callbacks. Uh, in fact, I was just watching an episode. Uh, who, who was the principal villain? Uh, he used to have uh, his head used to rotate. Oh, yeah. That villain, his name was Gemini. And he shows up in at least two episodes. I believe that um, it was a Jack Kirby or Alex Toth design because, you know, those really? guys were listed. Yeah. They were listed in the credit as the uh, chief character designers. He has one face that he wants people to see. That's the nice face. And then his head swivels and he turns into one of the most creepiest evil villains ever seen right. on screen. Right. And he shoots these beams out of his eyes. And oh, yeah, he's a piece of work, Gemini. The guy was a creep. Um, it's almost like the physical representation of what a sociopath would be. You know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. That's it because they have two sides. Right. You know, right. they have the side that they want people to see and then there's the side that you know no one sees yeah, look out folks look out kids if you're dating a gemini <laughs> to, uh, watch some thunder right right i remember an american gladiator by the name of gemini oh yeah right? i forgot about that if you're, da yeah, if you're dating sure. gemini the american gladiator then well then you're probably doing pretty good so <laughs> but uh anyway Back to Thundar. Right. Yeah. I, I remember distinctly an episode where the Statue of Liberty is resurrected <laughs> at, at one yeah. point as a weapon. To totally pre-Ghostbusters 2, by the way. Uh, I don't want to call out any, <laughs> any copyright, uh, any kind of plagiarism there. But anyway, uh, was, it, was, it, was, it, was it Gemini that did that? Yeah, it was Gemini again. He reared his uh, ugly two-sided head. And uh, was causing trouble for Thundar. And what is really great about that episode is that they don't really know who's behind the scenes pulling the evil strings. Right. And it's like this big shocker when you find out that Gemini has returned. What was their, what was their quest? There wasn't necessarily a particular quest. They seemed to go from one place to the other. And there were always people that needed help. The humans seem to be getting victimized a lot in the series. Right. And uh, they would come in and intervene and stop the bad guys from doing whatever they were doing. You can really thank the character designers who were Jack the King Kirby 
yeah. and Alex Tolth. They created a lot of awesome, wonderful characters for this series. And it, it really delivers, uh, you know, not scary uh, for kids, but great design aesthetic. Also helped the show be a success. Oh, definitely. I think they had a, a, a slightly older audience in mind in terms of maybe going for the 8 to 12-year-olds as opposed to, you know, the 6, 7-year-olds. Uh, correct. Yeah, the show did really great ratings the first year, and then the second year, the network ordered another batch of episodes, and the series continued to do really well. Even when the show moved networks from ABC to NBC, the series did well on NBC as well, and World on the Street was that Joe Ruby and Ken Spears went to NBC to try to negotiate for more episodes since the show was really tracking well ratings wise but apparently NBC was not interested they were happy that the show was doing pretty good ratings with just the repeats right and that was a real business model back in the day where not every Saturday morning show necessarily got a renewal with additional episodes Right. The network budgets were very low and networks had to decide which shows they wanted to invest their budget in, in terms of, of renewals and, right. and additional episodes. And the ratings argument had to be there. But sometimes in the case of Thundar, the ratings argument was there for additional episodes, but it just didn't happen, unfortunately. Which is, which is a trend we're going to touch back on thousands of times throughout the life <laughs> of this entire podcast, the business oh. model. Back in the day when it came to animation, it's like, hey, we have 13 episodes that are working really well. Let's just play them all over again for the next season. Yes. You can't you can't do that in live action. And I don't you really can't get away with that today, can you? No, you can't. You can't. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the wonderful things about the kids television industry today is that you are guaranteed a certain amount of episodes. And if you're. If your show does really great in the ratings, you are going to get another season of new episodes. And that's it. Just um, like any other any other TV show. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So in some regards, Saturday morning couldn't necessarily not only afford full animation, sometimes could not afford to renew additional episodes for one of your favorite TV shows. All of the kids that grew up feeling cheated back in the day. With uh, limited episodes, and uh, certainly we never got a, a proper final episode for anything, uh, we all grew up and became artists and, and television executives and decided, you know what, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to give the kids what we, what we didn't get. Right, exactly. Not only are you going to get additional new episodes of everything these days, you might even get extended episodes as well as behind the scenes, uh, special events of what's going on with your favorite television series. And so right. there's so much more content these days. Of right. course, it also helps that the way that uh, television is produced today, it's on a on a global level. Right. And so all those global networks help with the overall budget. Everyone puts their money in the pot and everyone gets the language version and everyone gets a brand new show and the viewer makes out pretty great. Gosh, how, how I would have loved to have jumped on the Internet and seen a, a three minute special webisode uh, additional whatever for Thundar. Oh, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. Like Ukla's day out, <laughs> you know, no, no, no English spoken whatsoever. It's just him kind of, you know, grunting and whining at other creatures. They grunt mm -hmm. and whine back. Yeah. Three minutes. Ex jump exactly. on www.thundar.com. Go find it on YouTube. 
Yeah, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> so Thundar really kicked it off. Thundar got yeah. it going. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was another show that followed it up. Right. And so the following year, again, networks pay attention to the competition. Obviously, since Thundar was a huge hit on ABC, ABC's chief rival, CBS, definitely wanted something similar. And so they turned to Filmation Productions and Filmation pitched a show called Black Star, uh, which was also a sword and sorcery adventure uh, about an astronaut named John Blackstar who ship flies through a black hole and he somehow survives and he ends up on this planet called Sagar and Mm. he has super strength now and he gets a hold of a sword and he helps the people on that planet battle against the overlord who also has a sword Mm. and once these swords are put together that person has the ultimate power and so the overlord is not only trying to stop black star he wants the the twin sword right so now mark uh, from what i understand it there is some history in between the concept of black star and the finished design right yeah well some of the early concept designs had black star as an african-american character you know lou scheimer was one of my mentors and uh, every time i took trips out to la i would find time to see him and this was one of the questions i wanted to know about because there were all these rumors on the internet that black star was supposed to be african-american right and lou scheimer told me that that was not the case he said it would be demeaning to have a black character also with a title in his name that had black in it. Right. And that was not the case. Right. However, thanks to the magic of the DVD, uh, Lou corrected himself and he did admit that at one point in time that they were playing around with Black Star being a black character. Right. But I guess the decision was made that uh, he wasn't going to be an African-American character and they sort of went with Black Star being Native American Indian, although he looks like he could be Native American Indian and his last name being Black Star definitely confirms that he could be Native American Indian. It's not necessarily confirmed in the city, in the series. Sure. But I'll go, I'll go with Native American Indian for now. <laughs> yeah. Hey, right. Because that's what he looks like and that's what his name says. So, right. right. But it's kind of interesting that uh, Filmation was playing around with the character being, you know, possibly an African American character as right. well. Right. Right. Uh, in the Cherokee Nation, there is a set of sacred prayer songs uh, known as the Black Star Songs. What? Yeah. No, that's very real. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're sacred sacred songs uh, that are that are indeed prayers and wow. i just i wonder i wonder you know the cherokee nation being as prominent as it is if i mean this may be a stretch here you know mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know uh, when you say you know a, a native american i always latch on to well which native american you know which tribe would that be and right there right. there is there is uh, there is precedent Wow, that is really something. So then we can firmly say that John Blackstar is Native American, and he's possibly from the Cherokee Nation. Yeah, 
Yeah, at least in my own, okay. at least in my head canon, that's that's what it is now. <laughs> well, that's what I'm going for, and and now it's fact because it's on the podcast. There it is. There it is. Everybody, <laughs> write that down. Very cool. Very cool. So the power star is split into the power sword and the star sword, and so okay. the overlord has the power sword, and Black Star has the star sword. Although they don't really explain how. Black Star got the second half or the other half of the Star Sword. He just sure. shows up and somehow he gets it. But it's fine. As viewers, we don't care how he got the Star Sword. We right, just know right, that right. he's going to use it to battle the bad guy. Time is money. Let's get the story moving forward. Let's, let's go. He's <laughs> exactly. got the sword. Bad guy's got the sword. Bad guy wants good guy's sword. Let's do it. <laughs> right. You know, it's interesting because we're and we're going to see this evolve later when we get into He-Man and whatnot mm-hmm. uh, with Thundar. He has the sun sword. But if I recall, that was a, a tool, a really cool just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, piece of gear he had now in the sword and sorcery genre. We're looking at the the swords uh, as as plot devices, as as motivations. Now they actually right. play a role in the story. Yes, exactly. So whoever can put the two swords together, you know, that can change everything. Right. And I'm sure um, at least there was at least one instance where the the sword during Black Star, you know, was actually put together, you know. But uh, obviously, if the sword gets put together by the the good guy, then the quest is over. If it gets put together by the bad guy, uh, Mr. Overlord, then, you know, the stuff's going to hit the fan, unfortunately. Right, but, right, right. So, they, of course, they have to keep it going. And again, this was a show that didn't have a chance to finish up. There were only 13 episodes, and mm. I can say that it probably was not as successful as Thundar. Right. The character design was great. You know, Filmation always has really beautiful character designs on all of their, right. their series, especially their action shows. But something about the story and the pacing, for me anyway, just didn't gel. I don't know. It's like a lot of short, short little sprints of action going on. And you right. wanted the action to continue, but then it was cut and, you know, there's dialogue and then they move on to the next thing. And right. for me, I wanted a little bit more action in this series. Now, with with, with the dialogue, was was the dialogue, uh, say, uh, character development, uh, spending time with uh, again with our friends, or was it was it just a whole lot of exposition? No, it was it was character development, spending time with their friends, explaining situations. I mean, like okay. there's one, one of his companions is named uh, Mara and Mara, you know, she can do magic sort of like Princess Ariel. You know, it is revealed in the f- very first episode, City of the Ancient Ones, that, you know, she's a few centuries old. And I think that's pretty cool. I mean, that was an important part of the dialogue that I think uh, viewers needed to find out about. And there's also another race called the Trobbits. They're a combination of troll and hobbit. And they're the inhabitants of of the Sagar tree, and they look like dwarfs, like the seven dwarfs. And, of course, they're the comedy relief, but each Trobbit has, like, a very distinct personality trait. And they sort of take their time trying to explain those characters. And so all these elements are needed. But versus, when I think about versus Thundar, they get into the action Right, right away. Right, right, right. Uh, as opposed to uh, Black Star. Although, you know, I did enjoy Black Star as a series. Um, sure. I just, I just, I just want a little bit more pop, I guess. 
Sure, right. And, and, and you know, in your mind, it very much seems, yeah, no Thundar, no Black Star. Right. And there's elements. I mean, uh, uh, Mara certainly hails back to uh, you know, Princess Ariel uh, in terms of uh, in terms of her power, and also uh, kind of being the the voice of reason. Unlike Thundar, um, Black Star actually <laughs> isn't as chauvinistic. I mean, because I mean, Thundar is a barbarian, and um, he he fits that barbarian personality. Well, it's also uh, nineteen. It's also nineteen eighty. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Right. There are times when you know Princess Ariel is telling Thundar, "Look, we just can't rush in. We need a plan." And Thundar's like, "No, I must do what I have to do because I'm Thundar." And right. You know. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Whereas on on Black Star, there seems to be like everyone is on Team Black Star, and they know the plan. And everyone follows the plan. Right. And there isn't that little bit of tension, you know, between Black Star and um, Mara. But right. to be fair, Black Star is a astronaut from the future. He isn't a barbarian. Right. Even though he is now living in a sort of barbarian sword and sorcery world, you know, his right. personality is going to be different. Interesting. And, sure. and I also wanted to mention it was a, a, a third a supporting character named Clone. He looked like an elf and he was a shapeshifter. And he also, you know, was the voice of reason as well. And he shapeshifted really beautifully. Uh, sometimes he would get captured and can shapeshift and sometimes he would get captured and not be able to shapeshift you know which was all part of of you know extending the story even though his powers didn't seem to be consistent i understood why in this particular episode he would not be able to use his powers and be captured so that black star can come and rescue him i get all sure, of that right, uh, right i just you know again i didn't understand like uh I said he should be able to shape shift into a bee or something, and <laughs> right, 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 be able to escape, you know. But hey, again, yeah, yeah, his, his shape shifting powers are derived from the needs of the plot, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So Black Star was uh, a little less action, a little more conversation, and uh, everybody seemed to be the voice of reason to one degree or another. Correct. But here is the really cool thing about. Black Star, you know, it was like a, a really good tryout um, for right. filmation. And uh, this was the series that helped influence Mattel, the Mattel Toy Company, to go to filmation to um, produce the uh, He-Man action series, yep. the syndicated series. Right. Which would come along a couple of years later. Right. So Black Star wasn't a total loss for Filmation. They were it was a resume builder, if you will. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because it, you know, at the end of the day, it really did have a very beautiful, crisp look with wonderful backgrounds and uh, uh beautiful character designs. You know, so I'm sure that definitely helped. I mean, you know, like I said earlier, you know, Tarzan was this sort of groundbreaking show with uh, beautiful character designs and and a rotoscoped version of of the Tarzan character that looked was you know like I said was the best looking animated character on television and so with with Black Star I'm sure the network wanted that same type of of look. 
Did you ever wonder why there are 24-hour kid networks? In my book, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives, I write about how Saturday morning became a competitive business and the proving ground for what would become the 24-hour kid network. My book covers the Big Bang of the 1960s explosion of high ratings to the early digital age of Saturday morning's last hurrah, the 1990s. You can purchase my book by going to thebestsaturdaysofourlives.com and I will ship you a signed copy. This is Mark McRae with the reading of an original newsletter that was published back in the day in 1993 titled The Animation Music Renaissance, episode 0303. Take a listen. The successful comic-to-cartoon adaption of Bob Montana's Archie series created an entire new genre in children's television called The Animation Music Renaissance. The Renaissance era, which took place from 1968 to 1976, was one of the most creative and competitive periods for the Big Five Studios, which included Hanna-Barbera, Filmation Associates, Croft Productions, Rankin-Bass, and DFE. One of the best programs to emerge from the Renaissance was Josie and the Pussycats. Created by the team of Dan DiCarlo and Dick Goldwater, Josie was second in sales and popularity to Archie. Both magazines shared the same publishing home, artists, and writers. While it was evident that Hanna-Barbera was the number one studio, their royal reign was about to be seized by Filmation's Renaissance king, Archie. Undaunted, Hanna-Barbera launched Josie and the Pussycats as their main contenders for the Renaissance crown. Josie's unprecedented television contract stipulated that CBS would order 16 episodes of Josie. In addition, Josie and the Pussycats would host a news program produced by CBS's news division titled In the Know. Hoy Curtin and Ted Nichols, who were HB's musical directors, were instrumental in making Josie the hit of the animation music renaissance. Ted composed some new musical background tracks for the comedy portions of Josie. For the adventure portions, Ted selected some of his best background musical tracks from Johnny Quest, The Fantastic Four, and The Arabian Nights, which created the right mood for Josie's dangerous encounters with villains and terrorists. Peggy Charon and her watchdog group, Action for Children's Television, was in full effect during the Renaissance. While Charon and her, what I described as BHFB, Board Housewives from Boston, were busy destroying this genre, they neglected to avail themselves in the area of music and lyric approval. Thank God. So that's an excerpt from The Best Saturdays of Our Lives from March of 1993, episode 0303, The Animation Music Renaissance. Just a few clarifications. Ted Nichols created all the background music for Josie and the Pussycats, as I stated, Hoy Curtin didn't compose any new background music for the series, but Hoy Curtin, along with Joseph Barbera and Bill Hanna, worked together to compose the actual Josie and the Pussycats opening theme song, which is pretty cool. There's also a wonderful interview with Ted Nichols in my book, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives. If you go to my website, tbsool.com, you can order a copy, which is $12.95, and I will mail you a signed copy.
where comedy and commentary collide. Thunder Talk brings a unique variety show style twist to the fandom podcast genre. We drop music from some of today's hottest up and coming artists. We discuss topics, social and political relevance, and deliver our sideways take on the world at large. If stand-up comedy, NPR, the Millennium Falcon, and classic MTV had a baby, it would be Thunder Talk. Thunder Talk is part of the ESO Network. Find us at thundertalk.org and on all podcasting platforms. On the next Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast, Dan and I talk about the greatest sword and sorcery animated series of all time, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. You know, the, the theme song for He-Man. It, it's one of those iconic, catchy tunes. It's, it, it's sort of been in my head for the last 30-odd years, but whenever I start, you know, da, 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 whenever I start like doing it in my head, it always segues right. after the first like three or four bars. It goes from He-Man to the, uh, to the Remington Steel theme. <laughs> you know, it's like... Uh, wow. And then, you know, we, we go from oh, Prince so Adam funny. to Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> Yeah, I used to like Remington Steel. Oh yeah, no, it's a pretty good show. He Man Remington Steel uh, crossover. But I can't, yeah, I, I, yeah, no, I just can't remember what the. Uh, so now I'm gonna have to go on YouTube and pull up the open just to see what that uh, open was like. Don't do it, dude. If if you if, if you have <laughs> He Man in your head, just let it be. Just let it okay. be. Okay. Okay. All right, I'll take your advice. Yeah. And uh, we're also going to talk about the iconic and rating blockbuster. Dungeons and Dragons animated series. That's right. That's right. Get your dice bags out, everybody. Yeah. So please stay tuned for the next Best Saturdays of Our Lives, where we'll be tackling part two of Sword and Sorcery. The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast is a co-production of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives studios and the Weirdos Workshop. To get a personalized signed copy of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives book, go to the Best Saturdays of Our Lives.com. This is Mark McRae signing off. <laughs>